Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and I'm with Mark Homer. We're co-founders of Progressive Property, nearly 15 years ago now. Uh, how time flies. And this episode is part of a quite a long series that Mark and I have been doing together. Um, since we've been doing this series, the How to Invest series, I've had quite a lot of messages from people saying, are you and Mark going to do more series together? The answer is no. <laughs> it's hard to get our diaries to uh, to sync. The reason we're doing this series is because it's topical. We get asked it all the time. We wanted to create these videos so that actually on an ongoing basis, when people regularly ask us how to invest 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, we've got a good resource for you. Now, if you're watching live on the YouTube channel or in any of our communities, you can ask some questions if you'd like, uh, and we'll do a Q&A at the end of this session. We normally make these videos 25 to 40 minutes, something like that. So it depends how many questions we have as to uh, how long we go on. But you can put the questions in the comments um, on Facebook or YouTube, uh, and we'll answer them towards the end. Now, all of these videos, how to invest five grand, 10 grand, 25 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, 250 grand, 500 grand, and now uh, this one, how to invest a million. This is the ninth in the series. All of these are going to be uh, pre-recorded and for your viewing pleasure on the Progressive Property YouTube channel. Um, so we've had lots of good feedback from this series. I hope you've been, been enjoying it. Um, now, we will refer back to other series. We don't want to just repeat ourselves um, with um, content and things that we've shared in previous um, series videos. So you may hear us say, um, refer back to previous videos. But for now, how to invest £1 million um, for the best return. So, Mark, are we in hotel territory with a million quid? I think you probably are. And I think it's particularly uh, sort of poignant, current, uh, here and now. Coronavirus has devastated the leisure sector. Lots of hotels are sitting empty. Their incomes have dropped hugely. A lot of the hotels around people have just got homeless in them. So I think there's distress in that market, especially where um, operators have got significant amounts of debt. Um, and I think if there aren't deals there, there will be deals there very shortly. So I think there are opportunities there to go and buy these hotels if you can sort of wait it out uh, until maybe sort of summer next year, maybe refurbish it, do a bit of a development, increase the number of rooms. You're probably towards the end. You take a bit of a view that you're towards the end of coronavirus um, and maybe start filling it up again. Uh, maybe you decide to convert the hotel into I don't know, something else. Um, maybe you could sort of, you know, convert it to some sort of HMO uh, if you get it for the right money. Obviously, you'll, you'll need planning consent and you need to put sort of various other things in there. Um, so that could be very good. Um, and I think the you know, if you've got a million pounds, you could easily sort of buy one of those, couldn't you, for let's say five, six, seven hundred, maybe do some works on it. Um, and uh, and then refinance it once it once it's complete. Clearly, buying a hotel with commercial finance at the moment is going to be probably pretty tough. I think a lot of banks would assume it's high risk at the moment. Mm. Um, a little bit like retail. Um, or somebody told me last week they'd got a school, and the bank had told them that it was high risk at the moment. Right. 
Okay. Do you yeah. think in this climate over the next, let's say, two years, who knows how long this is going to drag out? Who knows when the market's actually going to come down? Because it's been sort of... Is it going to come well, down? Well, I mean, yeah. what goes up must come down. It is the law of physics. <laughs> um, but I think it surprised a lot of us at how buoyant it's been. But do you think there might be opportunities where developments or conversions are half or three quarters finished and then people have just handed the keys back? I think that there are definitely. Um, I wouldn't say there's any more of those at the moment than there normally would be. But yeah, I think there could be more, you know, towards towards the end of this year. Um, I think it's really uneven. This is why I said hotels. Um, I think hotels will have dropped. Loads have been empty. There's distress there. It, leisure, you know, pubs, bars, restaurants, all that. Mm. Uh, whereas if you're talking about a block of apartments, well, I can't see how they've dropped at all. And yeah. I can't see where the distress is at the moment. No. So that's why I sort of talk about that specifically. Yeah. yeah. So in previous episodes, the 250 gram one and the 500 gram one, we talked about being in the territory to buy maybe empty retail or, um, you know, some kind of commercial type building and then yeah. convert it into residential. Yeah. So your hypothetical, you've got a million quid. Is that something you do at this scale? I think so. I, I think you could buy, you know, you could get it. You, you've got the choice of a lot of buildings at a million pounds. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier on. Um, who's in our network, who's just bought uh, retail on the ground floor with offices above. And, uh, you know, he just said he, he found it on the open market, w didn't work, and now it does work. And there's really good sort of income on it. And he's going to convert the uppers into apartments. And it's a sort of southern location. Yeah. Um, so I think the distress that's happened the last few months probably has taken a few participants out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, banks are slowly coming back. But not all. There aren't the same number of banks and the same appetite now that there was pre-coronavirus. Of course, you know the likes of RBS stopped lending, and now they say they'll lend on residential to existing clients only. There are others like that. So um, that's going to have an effect, isn't it? That's yeah. definitely going to have an effect. Um, that said, you know we've now got three vaccines that have been through three all three stages in in you know the trials. Um, and two of them are above sort of nine, around 95% e efficacy and the other one at 70%. Even if two of those uh, trials are completely fraudulent, wrong errors, you know, which seems very unlikely for the likes of Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca, you've still got a third one saying similar things. So, you know, last time you and I did this, um, and certainly the time before, versus today the world is in a completely different place mm. um we don't know when this ends but you know this ends now yeah and that's quite the trajectory is is very different and the, obviously the stock market is it's reacted mm. i mean it reacted on the day you know in a big way yeah yeah mm. so if you with the million quid would you buy one commercial conversion or hotel or would you buy two sort of half the value to de-risk i would try and buy two um you know if but it then again i Depends think it probably, there, yeah it? for me it'd be more about where is it what is it you know and how full can i keep it what's the occupancy going to be like i was talking today to um our other business partner who runs our uh, letting agency and 
he said to me, oh, I've got this sort of HMO. There's lots of rooms in it. And it's in another town, not, not in Peterborough. And it sounds really cheap. Um, and he said, why are you not that interested? And I just said, well, if it's a single let, I'd probably not really, you know, I'm not too fussed about where it is because I know they'll generally let and not such an issue. If it's a HMO, I'm re you know, I'd even pay more, maybe even slightly more than market value to buy something in an area that I knew for sure would mean that the building would be full because occupancy in a HMO block or in a hotel is everything. And, you know, if, if it's running 70% full, um, that's all your profit gone and it's making a loss. Whereas if it's, you know, running 95% full, um, it's going to be making really, really good profits. Uh, and the purchase price is sort of less relevant. That It's weird. Um, mm. But over the years, I've become more and more like that. Yeah. Um, so I think, I hope, you know, if you've got a single let there and you've got a, a sort of room let in the middle, a hotel is even more extreme than a room let. It's so location, specification, ensuite, marketing dependent. A rubbish hotel room in Peterborough is 25 quid. A great one's 125 pounds. So it's five times the price. Yeah. And the occupancy between a rubbish one and a brilliant one could be 30% occupancy or 95. Yeah. With a single let, a rubbish single let might be in Peterborough, 675 and a brilliant one around the same area might be 725. Yeah. And the occupancy of the rubbish one might be 90% and the occupancy of the brilliant one might be 96. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's all very well having a strategy, isn't it? We used to talk a lot about, you know, you might have a goal to buy a, a property for 250 grand or 500 grand or a million, but then you've got to go and find it. And properties aren't cookie cutters, are they? No, they're not. So often when you're, I remember no. you're going out looking for stuff for a million and you're coming yeah. back saying you've found stuff at five million be, and nine million. This is what happened. This is how yeah. it is. Yeah. So, yeah. but. They're not widgets. No. Properties exactly. are, are they, cookie cutter. no. Yeah. But it is important to stress if you had the binary choice between one at a million, one unit a million, or two at 500 grand, you'd probably go to all things equal. You'd be de-risked by, or a bit less risk by doing two at If I hadn't done many hotels before, I'd definitely pick the smaller one. Yeah. If I'd done a load of hotels in that area and I knew it, then of course I'd probably prefer to buy the bigger one because I would feel like it's probably less time work. Leverage. Yeah, yeah, good time leverage. So yeah, in the earlier stages, definitely yeah. buy the smaller ones. But once I've been in an area, I've got high confidence and I know it, I'd do the bigger stuff because yeah. it's better use of time. Mm. Okay. So um, you often talk to me about exposure and you don't like being like all in on commercial or all in on buy to let or all in on HMOs. You say sometimes banks don't like yeah. exposure. No, no one. So, they don't. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that, about if someone's got a million plus? Yeah the risk of putting it all into one property type or class yeah. or one asset class? Concentration risk. Um, you know, all, the, the banks are always bothered about it. Um, you know, if you go, you, in order to make lots of money, you really need to go very deep and concentrate massively, become the best at something, have the best business, offer a, a better product at a lower price and, uh, and not have 50 different products or 50 different businesses. That's how you make a load of money. But the way in which to conserve your money um, and to not lose your money is to diversify it and not have too much of any one thing. And clearly, we've just come out of a recession. Um, well, I suspect we're in a recession again now because the government shut the economy a few weeks ago. 
but we came out of one and then we were in a, a recession sort of you know over the summer weren't we when when the economy was shut the previous time the the the, the sort of types of businesses and properties that are affected by this recession are completely different from those that were affected by the previous recession. Mm. This time, um, hotels, leisure, pubs, um, you know, training businesses, every, you know, all those were really badly affected. In the previous recession, uh, and sorry, by the way, house builders were not affected or, or have done very well out of it so far. In the previous recession, house builders got absolutely nailed because there was a lack of bank finance. Training businesses like ours probably great because smaller, um, smaller sort of ticket price products. Um, hotels probably not that badly affected. Uh, pubs, bars maybe a little bit. Um, you know, completely different. Different ingredients, so a different cake is baked. Mm. And the point is that. Um, you know, this time, you know, let's say retail has been badly affected and, and, and hotels. And, you know, if you're looking at sort of asset classes, you know, they, they would have been the ones which if you'd held all retail or all hotels or all bars and pubs, you'd be most heavily affected yeah. in the previous recession. Uh, whereas this time, industrial warehouses, all that sort of stuff. Great. Um, and actually not affected and, and probably gone up in value and, and done better. Yeah. Previous recession, industrial warehouses, all the rest of it, a lot of them were empty around here. Offices became very empty. Um, yeah, retail probably did get hit a bit, always seems to. Um, you know, residential in, in, in both scenarios, to be fair, was was pretty solid. The point is that you don't when the next recession comes along we don't know what's going to cause it this one was a virus the previous one was a, a banking crisis uh, and the, and the one before that well you know that was erm interest rates going up um you know and and a, a you know a squabble over the exchange rate mechanism so next time the next recession is going to be something that we don't know is going to happen uh because if, if we did know it was going to happen, the government or the market participants would do something to stop it happening, probably. Um, and we don't know what the effects are going to be. So surely the best thing to do is to have some residential, maybe a little bit of retail, some industrial, maybe some hotels. You know, not say, oh, hotels are bad forever, because next time hotels will probably be great. Mm. Um, you've just got to diversify across, you know, and have a have a letting agency or have, have different business types, nurseries and and, and schools were quite badly affected this time around. Um, you know, I would have thought in the previous recession, not affected at all. Mm. Um, so, and next time may be great. So the point is multiple income streams yeah. across um, varied uh, sort of business types and, and, and property types. Mm. That, that, that's what you really need to be doing to conserve your wealth. Yeah. So uh, would you consider then getting some buy-to-lets and some HMOs um, might it be wise to get, you know, yeah. you talked in the last video with um, 500 grand and 250 that you can recycle deposits and have yeah. multiple single lets on the go. Yeah. Um, and then maybe, you know, a couple of sort of two, 300 grand level HMOs. Yeah. So is there an argument for some single lets, a couple of HMOs and, and one commercial? I think there is. Um, you've just got to become very good at, you know, all of them um, and focus on one or two of them at a time and don't sort of scattergun across everything. Yeah. But over time, try and diversify 
into a few sort of use classes in property yeah. if you're going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, out of that million quid, how much are you going to hold back as a contingency in cash? 10, 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to max your ISA, I take it? Every year, yeah. 20,000, definitely. Yeah. You always do that. Vanguard or Hargreaves lands down and then put it into tracker, a tracker portfolio. Yeah. And um, we've talked a lot about property, well, nearly all about property, but out of a million quid, might you put some of that into the stock market? Um, yes. Definitely. What, um, what sort of percentage ratio? I mean, I know you love property, but. I think that's really dependent on what other stuff you've got and where, you know, how much cash you need for your property business and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, definitely do as a minimum your ISA every year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, might you be tempted by a Mercedes? <laughs> We've, the, the, the classic. It comes up every it time, does. doesn't it? You could buy one Mercedes <laughs> 300 SL Goldwing, yeah. which is obviously. So this is W198. Uh, W198. They are beautiful. <laughs> uh, um, I think as an investment, um, it's probably not the best place to put you. In fact, definitely not the best place to put your million pounds. Um, is that what they are about a million quid? They're about a million quid. Yeah. You or, can get an F40 for yeah, or an quarters. amaz an amazing one for two and a half million. Right. So that's, that's the sort difference. of money they are. But yeah. I mean, they do look quite unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there. It's not a great investment, really. No, I, I think we've talked about in previous episodes. Classic cars, I think, is quite a thing to get into. I think you can start at the lower end. We've given some tips on cars for five grand and 10 grand. You can kind of learn about them. Once you get the storage sorted and you trickle charge them over the winter and you buy the right ones um, and you learn about it and you get a good dealer and you, you get a chap like we've got who goes and checks yeah. them out properly, you can actually, I think, start to move up the food chain. We... Um, we bought the Testarossa, didn't we? So you're then into sort of the six-figure sums. Um, I suppose I suppose if you've had a Ferrari or two, you could keep going down the Ferrari lineage because you kind of get used to yeah. how they work and you build relationships with dealers and agents and you've got your, um, you know, your garage, you'll repair it for you. Because yeah. I've often thought about um, the Lotus Esprit. They're, they're not huge amounts of money, but I was taught away from that because sort of the maintenance of it, you know, and the repairs could be quite high. Um, generally speaking, do you think sort of some of the more um, classic proven Ferraris are good road to go down? I think they probably are. And I, you know, a lot of people would love to think, including myself, that, oh, German is always best or Porsches, you know, cause the least hassle and all the rest of it. But when you talk to a lot of the dealers like Dan, who I did a, um, a podcast with who trades Ferraris and Porsche and all that, he says actually some of the most reliable and well-built um, sort of, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 year old cars are Ferraris mm. um, and Mercedes, yeah. maybe not Porsche so much. Mm. I think the Mercedes were really solid yeah. years ago. They're like built out of, just like, you know, fucking iron or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're, they're properly thud, but yeah. they're a different thing to what what, what there is today. But mm. um, yeah, I, I, um, I, you know, I think with the classic cars, I think it's a good place. Often, as long as you buy right, it's a good place to park your money. Yeah. Um, if you've and got enjoy it, at the enjoy same it. Time. So it's yeah. a good place to park your money and enjoy it. Um, if you're expecting it to go up in value, it might do. It, 
probably won't, certainly in today's environment. So what you should be aiming for with that is just to have something that doesn't go down, maybe the maintenance, it costs you maintenance every year and a, a bit of insurance. Um, I think that's what those are probably more about. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to make proper money, the fastest money uh, would be through starting a business and being really good at it. Yeah. Um, and then sort of second best would be parking your money in, in property that's well leveraged. That's mm. always going to do a lot better than buying classic cars, unless you're a classic car dealer and you do it all day and you're amazing yeah. at it, you know. Well, we talked about this in previous um, series videos. Anything that you have a real passion for and you get really good at, you've got a good chance of making some good money. So whether you love single lets or HMOs or more commercial projects or you love classic cars or you love crypto, you know, Mark and I, not the biggest fan of crypto, not because we're not the biggest fan of crypto, but because it's a bit, psh, we don't understand it. We're not in it. We don't read about it, learn about it. But of course, you know, we've got friends who've made big money out of crypto because they're really fascinated by it and interested in it and read about it and want to go down all those rabbit holes. You know, Mark, you love reading the FT. You love knowing about what's going on in, in, in the economy and politics and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, I love sort of studying watches. So, um, you know, one thing I would say about classic cars, because I've seen this repeatedly, Generally speaking, the ones that go up the most are the ones that are created with the limited um, supply run. So we bought the Testarossa, which yeah. was uh, it was our sort of second move into that kind of car. But actually, I forget the model names, but there was two similar models. 512 TR. Yeah, they made 500 of one of them and they made 50 of another one. The, the, the Monte, the one with the higher wing mirror was the, yes. I can't remember. Uh and they had one, one, it had yeah. one wing mirror, didn't it? That's it. It's, it's yeah. the one wing mirror. And, yeah, they're a lot more money. But they're, they're sort of double, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, Mark's just checking that out. But, you know, obviously we have a Lamborghini Aventador and the SVJ tends to hold the money better than the standard. But it's more money. But, of course, there's much less run of them. Mono Specchio. Yeah. Mono Specchio. Yeah, I think that yeah. relates to the one wing mirror. It does. Um, yeah. But yeah, they make, yeah, look, it's just got one wing mirror on one side. Um, and I think it was, did you say the 512 TR? Yeah, they're yeah, more money. That, yeah, they're and later. They similar. Yeah. And they, they, oh, I think they make 500 of them. Apparently, they drive a lot better, um, as is hard work. But I just just like power steering, I think. I know it sort of sounds a little bit um, <laughs> You're getting sort old. Of ridiculous because it's a classic car and that's what it's about. But I would enjoy it a lot more if it had power steering. It is like turning a tractor. It is, yeah. And people don't understand no, that. No, no. Yeah. It, if, it's, if it's stationary, it's almost yeah, impossible. You, you do like a 12-point yeah. turn, yeah. you trying to get out of anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so make, you know, if you can, when you get into watches mm. and cars and things like that, art as well, try and get things where there was very limited production, there was a very limited number. And by the way, a lot of companies now, especially with watches and art, they make out it's a limited run, but it's actually a limited number per year. I've fallen for this. Was, oh, they only make a thousand per year. Panerai. Yeah, Panerai, great yeah. at doing yeah, I remember that. that one. AP yeah. are good at doing yeah. that as well. Yeah. But So, yeah, what you want is actually a, a, spe a specifically limited run. I um I have an Odemar Piguet, big Biblos. They made 50 of them. And the... um the sports model APs, so the Royal Oak offshores, they took a bit of a drop when Patek's and Richard Mills were going up. But because they only had made 50 of the Biblos, um, it held its money really well and it's still worth more than I paid for it. 
and then the um, Odomar Piguet Royal Oak Offshore QE2 Cup, the newest one. They made 200 of them and I paid 32 and I sold for 46, 48, something like that. When the um, Royal Oak Offshore APs were actually going down and were least in favour. So, um, again, by limited run, people are talking a lot at the moment about Rolex, Patek Philippe. Uh, yeah, so the, the bib loss is there. Um, Rolex, Patek Philippe and Richard Meal. Um, I mean, there's lots of other, you know, nice models of watches but they're the three that seem to be really strong in the market right now don't get fooled by that um, because i think the market's quite frothy and a lot of people are in it um and i would always buy limited limited edition or limited run watches i think in the long term a complicated patek philippe um i actually think now that everyone's in favor of the nautilus which is the uh, sort of the square look it's almost like the window of a ship um, it's square. It's a square with round edges. That's become really wildly popular. We talked about it in previous episodes. Um, I'm not telling you what to do. I should have. Well, we've done it in every other video, so it's fine. But disclaimer: this is just us telling you our experience and having a chat. We're not advising you to do anything. But if I was going into Patek now, I'd actually go back to the old round face complications um because there's just a bit less popular than the nautilus is therefore i think they've got more room to grow and they're always going to be a good watch a complicated patek or a rolex daytona you know classic sports watch always going to be a good buy a, a racy thing like a richard meal or um you know some other sort of brand that's a bit of the moment that's always going to be a little bit more risk Okay, Mark, are there land? Are you into land and developing? Is that a good uh, thing right not, now? Yeah, not, not so much. I mean, I've tended to buy buildings and convert them and do rooftop extensions and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but clearly, you know, land as you know, is, is always a big thing and, and continues to be such. Mm. There's a lot of planning changes going on at the moment. Um, do you think that will create opportunity? Probably. Yeah. Um, do you, think you've got, do you think you've got to know what you're doing when you build? Like, you should absolutely you have. First? I think you absolutely have got to know what you're doing, and you probably want to start doing that with a partner, yeah. uh, somebody who, who already knows what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So someone's made a good point here, and let's just talk about it quickly. Um, when petrol and diesel cars become banned in yeah. 2030. I think that's a, a very good point. Um, you know, new petrol and diesel, and that's the point, it's not, existing yeah. it's new petrol and diesel cars won't be available um apparently according to boris as long as he's telling the truth um available for sale from 2030 um you would imagine a lot of these sort of i don't know you know all petrol and diesel cars they're going to become uh, extinct aren't they uh, over time so you would imagine um I don't know, a lot of them will go up in value, you would have thought. Mm. Will you be able to continue getting petrol and diesel? I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be, you know, less sort of service stations, but uh, in our lifetimes, you'll, you'll still be able to buy it. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine that's quite a good thing for the old ones. You know, I'm noticing things now, and this might be me getting old, but, you know, I used to love just buying a BMW M3, you know, straight six or later the, the V8, or, or the M5, which was a V10, or maybe the Ferrari that, 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 that the 458 we had, um, or, or any of the Lamborghinis, or, or, or all of the Porsches, or almost all of the Porsches. 
they were all naturally aspirated mm. and they all sounded great. I went out in uh, my friend's um, new 911, which he's just bought um, a couple of weeks ago. And in every way, I'd say it's better than my car because it's the new one, you know, it's got all the latest electronics, um, you know, it's quicker and it's turbocharged. And I can't hear the engine properly. It has dampened all those nice high pitched noises. They've, they've gone. When we tried a 488, so, they brought it around. It was yeah. the same thing. The M4 now, replacing the M3, that I tried, I don't know, three, four years ago. Same thing. M5's the same. In fact, I can't think of any performance car that is normally aspirated except for new stuff, except for the new Lamborghinis. Um, they just seem to be carrying on with it. And that Aventador is the best sounding car yeah, we've ever owned. Yeah. There's just nothing. That little window that's that big at the back, you can just pull the window down. It's about that big. And there's a button. So you can, yeah. they've done it on purpose, haven't yeah, they? So you can hear the engine coming in. And Ferrari yeah. do it. But, the, but yeah. the, that Lamborghini, is it sounds quite unbelievable. Yeah. Um, now, for me, you know, those normally aspirated cars that you can hear properly, I feel like I'm always going to want one of those now um, yeah. because they're gone. You can't buy a new car that sounds like that anymore. And that's that feels like a real loss to me. Yeah. And surely that would be a real loss to lots of other people. I don't know whether people are as bothered as me with that, but that really bothers me. Mm. Yeah. I think it bothers people who love cars yeah. and love driving. So um, Sally's put here, this is quite interesting, cars and watches yawn, give me aeroplanes and holidays in the Maldives. But surely, I know she's probably joking, but surely an aeroplane, is the opposite of an investment. Surely that's going to go down the most. <laughs> well, yes. Um, although you could listen to my podcast on Avios and how to get uh, business class and first class seats for £600 return. Um, and, you know, you know, I'll, I'll book for the Maldives probably, I don't know, in a year or two. Um, I'll use points for the hotel. Um, I don't know, it might be seven or £800 a night. Um, and you know, instead of paying the seven or eight hundred pounds a night, I'll use about ninety thousand Hilton points. So I use I don't know seven hundred thousand Hilton points that have come off a Amex card. So I won't pay anything in cash for the hotel, and then we'll fly business class for six hundred quid each. So I, th I think there are ways of doing that. Um, just you've got to listen to the right podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. I'd probably be interested in doing that yeah, and figuring yeah. it all out. Oh, you put time investment into it that. It takes hours to do yeah. it. It's why I never let a sort of PA or assistant book my holidays because it's a bit like you on watches. They're never going to get yeah. to that level of... Um, Understanding. No, yeah. it's never going to happen <laughs> no. because, because because they're not as interested in it as you. No, are no, yeah. I've tried to have previous PAs, haven't I, book those and it's, yeah. It doesn't work. Not quite... No. They don't know to hack the system like you do. You need Ian Wormsley. Yeah. You know, to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. Um, right. Have we got anything else? Should we do some questions, Harry? Um, because we have talked about investing in the stock market in previous episodes. We've talked about um, various funds and um, we've talked a little bit even about premium bonds and crowdfunding and investing your SIP. Um, that's all been covered in previous episodes. So, um, oh, starting a business. We'll probably do that in the next episode. Could you buy a business? 
um, within, with part of your million pounds, you could. Mark and I have always bootstrapped companies because we like to start from the ground up. Some people say, oh, well, just buy them existing, but you can buy problems. Um, but, you know, when you start it from the ground up, you just you can start it with a few hundred quid or just some some small marketing expenses. Um, so we'll probably cover that in the future episode. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, crypto, we've been asked about. Um, would you put, out of a million quid, like, would you put a percentage of that into something higher risk? Like I, might, I might do 5%. Yeah. So um, 50 grand. Yeah. Or, or um, the other thing is EIS schemes. You yeah. know, I, I mentioned the one I did. Um, I made, you know, some money. I can't, I don't know, seven grand or whatever it was. Did I? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I told you I saw them rather early and I would have made 100,000 out of 15 grand or something. Um could have, would have, should have. Yeah. Um, they're very high risk. They can drop uh, and they're worth nothing, but there are big tax incentives to doing it. So maybe up to 5% into yeah. things like that. And then the opposite of that, which is almost a hedge, might you buy it, spend, say, 5% and put it into gold or physical? Yeah. And I don't know if I would at the moment. No. It's such a lot of money, yeah. isn't it? What, 1,800, 1,900 an ounce? Yeah. It's just way three. I mean, it's already come off, clearly. As soon as those vaccines, last week, week before, as soon as the vaccine news started coming out, gold came off. Yeah. But it's not settled yet. And, yeah. you know, things carry on and um, things start to calm down over the next year. Clearly, there are loads of issues, public sector debt and unemployment and all that's, got, that's coming. Yeah. Um, but you would have thought as the uncertainty subsides, gold's going to come off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, have some gold, but for me with gold, I buy to hold. So I just yeah. buy and hold forever. Yeah. It's just that kind of thing. Yeah. Not, I'm not a trader. I think you've got to know if you're a trader or a, sort of an investor or actually it's important or if you're a speculator, because I think a lot of people think they're investors and they're not. They're gamblers. There's only <laughs> two types of investor, Rob. What's that? Those that know they can't time the market and those that can't time the market. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> Um, right. Okay. Let's take a couple of questions then if we've got them, Harry. What's your view on investing in warehouse or industrial units? Well, clearly that's the hot sort of uh, investment strategy at the moment. So, you know, I'd proceed with caution. Uh, if you're getting stuff at the right money and you've got the right tenant and they're a good covenant and they're going to pay for a long time and, it, you know, you get it financed, why not? Um, but, you know, whenever you're buying something that's hot maybe you're paying uh, a sort of topped up full price for it so just make it's all about the deal you get isn't it but clearly i'd say there's less risk over the sort of medium to long term with a warehouse unit in the right location or industrial unit versus the average retail unit that is is it still in a slow motion crash you know the the um, coronavirus has sped up that decline of high street retail. It's moved off the high street into these industrial and warehouses because that's where all the stuff's getting delivered from now. Over, you know, all the internet shopping's going out of these. Um, so, yes, over the medium to long term, you would have thought that the retail stuff is going to do worse. The value's probably going to reduce and the warehouse and industrial's probably going to be more stable. That was from Nag. Okay. Uh, Harry, you got any more? The greasy string. <laughs> Would you buy 100 different classic cars or one Bugatti? Oh, God. I, I mean, it depends what 100 classic cars you buy and for what price and what condition. Um, 
and of course what bugatti you buy i don't know much about sort of classic bugattis uh but um come maybe, on let's just let's yeah. humor the fun it's just obviously a bit of fun it's the greasy strangler so it actually yeah. might be one of our trolls yeah. the thing is uh, you've got to have a garage for 100 cars, haven't you? Well, that's true. And where the, where the hell are you going to store them? And if it's the same money, what's a, a, a Bugatti share on what? You're going to need two, a, three million. You're going to need a PA just to run million. 100 cars. You are. I mean, you that's think, a full time business running those cars. Between us, you know, I don't know what we're running four cars or something. And I find it enough pain in the arse with all the, you know, bits of paper and all the rest of it. 100. Can you imagine all the nonsense that's going to be going on? And if there are 100 classics, it will be continuous maintenance and stuff yeah. exploding. I've got a mate's dad who's got 25 classic cars and he has a full-time mechanic yeah. who just deals them all day. Yeah. And By he the has time a... he's finished the 25th, the first one's broken. He's got to go back to it's it. he's doing all yeah. day. It's like 25 days. I see him driving a different one every day on my way home. He passes me, he waves, uh, and I think he's got a PA just dealing with all the paperwork. Yeah. So bear that in mind too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, next, Harry. Um, is it enough to invest in Monte Carlo? Uh, oh, what, to buy a property to in buy Monte an Carlo? apartment in Monte Carlo. It would be like yeah, the shoe, size. Shoe box. Yeah. <laughs> a phone box. I don't think so, is it? Uh, Surely not. Oh, God. They, I mean, what are they there? Six, let's say they're six grand a foot. I would have thought. I don't know exactly, but, you know, that's probably not a million miles away. Um, mm, 165 foot, isn't it? Yeah, that's the size of a room, isn't it? Sort of 14 square meter room. For what, 10 million? No, a million, if it's 6,000 pound a foot. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, a studio flat, really, you need 300 square foot, 30, 29 square meters. So it's about half the size of a studio flat might get you if it's 6,000 a foot. I don't know, what are the values? Yeah, I can answer that, actually. Let's have another Uh, one, Harry, while we're waiting. Great business opportunity to set up charter business as due to COVID people chartering planes. Um, I can't comment on that. It's not my area of expertise. But what I will say is there are new spin-off business opportunities from COVID and the lockdown. And once we're out of this... Do they not go away then? Once we're out of it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Was that what you were going to say? No, I was just going to say I don't know about that particular business industry, but I think that there are going to be other business opportunities when we're out of it. Because in the previous series, we talked about starting a business, running a company is a great way to invest time and money. We've not really talked about that here. I've got a relatively strong opinion about this sort of stuff. So, you know, for me, starting a business, learning it, getting good at it and building the thing is a multi-year endeavor it probably takes three years to get it good and and running properly and you know in order for that to be the case i think you want at least 20 years worth of runway profits and and just a a, an environment that will support that business for that period um isn't covid done this time next year if the vaccine and the therapeutics and the testing works and I know Boris is saying, you know, by Easter, life could be sort of back to normal. Fine. Let's say it's 18 months. Um, that doesn't feel like very long to base a whole new business on. I've got friends and other people that have gone and gone off and they've created a new sort of business or business arm to respond to the needs of COVID. But 
it just seems so short term to me. And I just can't see why you'd want to pull that investment of time in for something that's going to end shortly. Yeah. Don't get it. Thanks, Mark. Any more, Harry? Two, three more. Yeah. The best way to find good contractors. Whoa. Oh, my God. Don't start, Mark. We'll be here all day. And no, this isn't no, about no. investing. Um, is there anywhere else you've talked about that, Mark, you can no. direct someone to? You should do a podcast um, on that because yeah, you've got oh, mate. deep experience. Yeah, but I wouldn't say I'm good at it. Um, finding contractors for me is always driving around, seeing who's doing what jobs, uh, and talking to other investors and sort of getting to know builders locally. Um, that's how I've always found them. Um, referral, seeing men on jobs elsewhere that are like mine and then approaching them. Um, yeah. So you like proof. Yeah. Got to have done it. They've got to have done it before. Yeah. And, you know, not being a builder, if I want to do a conversion, I want to see that they've done probably two or three conversions of that type before. And I don't want them giving me a CV. I want to drive around and spot them doing it. Yeah. And I want to know they know how to do it and they're not learning how to do it on my projects. And if yeah. I want someone to build me new houses, I want to have seen them building new houses, not doing conversions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah let, yeah. Them, let them cut their teeth on someone else. Uh, it's no yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Mark. Investing in green tech stocks. Green tech stocks. Um, is this a sort of ethical investing type? Um, I don't know what green tech stocks are, actually. I think it's stocks. Some will, some won't. It'll be like the internet. Um, you know, I, I would have thought there'll be some that are very successful and somewhere you'll lose all your money. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily any better than any other sort of fledgling sector on the stock exchange. Yeah. So Mr. Anonymous says, buy what the fuck you know about. There's quite a lot of wisdom in that. Well, there's a lot of truth. I know, we like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We've tried to make this point all along. We talk about stuff we like and we're interested in property, business, stock market, you know, cash investments, watches, cars. Um, all of those could be good. All of those could be rubbish if you don't know what you're doing and getting really knowledgeable and interested and passionate about a, a particular class, I think uh, is going to give you by far and away the best chance of succeeding in it. We have talked about that a lot in previous episodes. Um, and, and you could probably you could probably have one or two main interests and then you could probably have the rest are secondary interests because you can't be great at everything. For Mark and I, if, I think we'd probably both agree with this. If we had to pick two things, it'd be property and business. I would sacrifice everything else. If it was purely around making money and not just enjoyment, property and business. I think great thing about business is you can start on a shoestring, on a bootstrap. You can start with little or no money and you can build a company in, in the information space or um, you know products and services or e-commerce. Um, and of course, property is proven. Look at everyone on the rich list. Look at, you know, hundreds of years of proven growth. Everything else, I think you've got to get really inter interested in. Um, yeah. And ultimately, if you want to make serious money out of it, you've probably come, got to become a professional investor in it. Anything else, Harry? Last question. Yeah. Would you invest for capital growth or for an income? Um, I would invest for both. Um, most um, assets that we've spoken about like property or or shares um, would provide both 
Um, clearly, gold wouldn't. Um, that may go up in value, but there's yeah. no income stream. Watches, cars um, don't have income streams. Yeah. yeah, and 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 a lot of people forget that they sort of go, "Oh, my 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 car went up ten percent this year." Um, but if there was no income stream, then you may have lost sort of six percent versus something else like a property. So actually, net net, it's only gone up four percent. You mm. see what I mean? So um, you need to analyze both things um clearly property is great for can be great the right the right stuff is great for both um generally if you can have a bit of capital growth and a bit of income the overall return is going to be massively greater than something that just provides an income or just provides capital growth mm. hopefully remember income is usually quite predictable capital growth is usually completely unpredictable yeah right Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Mum. Thanks, everyone. So the final episode in the series will be how to invest with little or no money. That's happening next Monday at 5 p.m. on the Progressive Property YouTube channel. So, Harry, if you could put a link in there. So we will help you get started in property and business and all the other things that we've done ourselves and we know how to do if you don't have a big lump of money to invest. That's actually how we started back in the day. Um, so it'll be a slightly different flavor of episode to all of these how to invests. And we have covered how to invest five grand, 10 grand, 25 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, 250 grand, 500 grand, and now a million. So you've got a nice series to go and consume. They'll all link together bits we didn't cover in this episode, we've covered in previous episodes. So that we don't um, repeat ourselves, go and subscribe to the Progressive Property YouTube channel. Bye.